the nine to five is an archaic construct for how work happens. And especially for knowledge workers, certainly this won't apply to every industry, but for knowledge workers, there is additional flexibility where you can push the bounds, push the envelope of linear time. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 162 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to be joined by not one, but two experts in remote work. Chase Warrington, the head of Remote Ad Duist and frequent guest of this podcast, and Darren Murph, the head of Remote Ag GitLab, who you may remember from episode 160. And after the last time I spoke with Darren, uh, we realized we still had a lot more to discuss and a lot more we want to talk about. Uh, and to make the conversation even better, we decided to bring Chase on to add his expertise and viewpoint on our discussion. During this conversation, we talked about why recreating the water cooler at a remote company may be overhyped, Malcolm Gladwell's recent negative comments on remote work and what he's getting wrong about it, what the next frontiers of remote work are, and much, much more. If you're a remote worker or lead a remote team or company, this is a must-listen episode. We dug into a lot of gold here that's going to make your life and work a lot easier. But before we jump into the interview, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter, Remote Insider, where every Monday morning I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called mandatory reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I guarantee you will also love being a Remote Insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider, all one word. That's thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider. Also, I would like to say a quick thanks to Safety Wing for sponsoring the show. If you're a digital nomad or run a remote company, I will tell you a bit more about the awesome things that they are creating for you later in the episode. As always, if you enjoy this episode, share it on Twitter or Instagram and tag me at Mitkoka, that's M-I-T-K-O-K-A, or send it to a friend you think will enjoy. Uh, and while you're there, give me a follow as well. I publish new remote work content on Twitter every single day. So come on over and send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. Finally, if you haven't left a review already, please consider leaving one wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate that since it helps us cry, climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. It's super easy. It takes like two minutes, uh, but it, it has a lot of effect. So thank you so much if you decide to do that. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Darren Murph and Chase Warrington. To kind of start things off here, uh, I wanted to ask Darren, I want to ask you something. This is a very important question. So obviously, Chase and I have been uh, friends now for a few years. Chase, yeah, like several, several years, two years. Yeah. I don't know. We've known yeah, each other it for, feels for a like a here. lifetime, Mitko. It's That's been a, right. Yeah. Uh, we, and, you know, we're, we're good friends. However, recently... There's been a rift in our friendship. 
And uh, it's really something that's been causing a lot of stress on both mine and Chase's part. And and that is um, cheddar cheese, thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. Oh, okay. A, we need to cancel up. this podcast right now. <laughs> we've been, uh, we've, I just, okay. I don't know how to move yeah. on from this. I don't have a good segue. Um, <laughs> you weren't anticipating that. Like you thought for sure a man of Darren Murph's caliber couldn't possibly yeah. like cheddar yes. cheese, but, uh. But look, man, we, Darren and I are from North Carolina. We 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 eat cheeseburgers. <laughs> well, you're both from North Carolina. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a thriving thriving community there in North Carolina. And we, um, I mean, you can't not like cheddar cheese. Sorry, it's just not. Oh, it's in you our can. DNA. It's the right choice. Um, <laughs> but anyways, we're gonna move on from this uh, terrible start here with uh, the cheddar cheese, and and move on to something that Chase and I were actually interestingly talking about last week that Darren. We said we were we were talking about this and we said let's because we knew this was coming up and we said let's leave it to 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 have a conversation the three of us about this. First of all, for anyone who doesn't know you guys, Chase uh, Chase Warrington from About Abroad, the head of remote uh, head of remote at Duist. You've been on the podcast a whole bunch. Darren, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Uh, Darren Murph is the head of remote at GitLab, uh, called the Oracle of Remote by was it CNBC? Yeah, that's right. Nice. Love it. Um, that is, I said, that is the coolest chase. Like once you get called this the Oracle so cool. of remote work, I think you can just retire. Um, yeah. I, but, I mean, totally. So, <laughs> Darren, here's, here's what Chase and I were talking about. Uh, one of the things that has been coming up since COVID kind of hit and everybody had to move to remote work, it's been this, this topic of how do we recreate the water cooler in a remote setting, right? How do we facilitate this this conversation between coworkers that really kind of helps to build that bond between coworkers when in remote, it's so easy to just be, you know, straight to the business. And Chase had this very, you know, interesting opinion, which was, it's not an issue. It's a non-issue. And we're focusing and spending so much energy on something that's not really a problem in trying to solve it. So Darren, before I turn it over to you, Chase, do you want to kind of give a little bit of background as to why you feel that way and and kind of like why are we expending all this energy on doing that when we should be, you know, spending that energy some, somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I because I, I think it does require a little bit of elaboration because when you when it's said in that way, it sounds like I would say I would be one of those people that advocates for like you don't need any human interaction. There's no value in in time together. There's there's no such thing as serendipitous, you know, ideas and and aha moments. I, I believe all those things are important and true. I'm just still angry uh, about the cheddar thing, and I'm trying to throw you under the bus. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you you said it correctly. Those are those are my words exactly. But the the context <laughs> around that is um, cheddar cheese is awesome. And secondly, uh, the the problem that I think is created by everybody saying, you know, the water, using the water cooler as the, uh, as the figurative thing for this place that we apparently used to go to, to make all the magic happen. Um, I think is just kind of BS. Like, I don't think anything actually ever happened at the water cooler. Um, I've been in an office environment before and I don't ever recall pouring a cup of coffee and having anything of value actually come from that. So, I think it's a very easy way for companies that are hesitant to move to any kind of a distributed model to fall back on something like that. And I think if we remove those fallbacks and say like, okay, but really like, would you pay for a solution that recreates the water cooler? And I think you'll have trouble finding companies that are willing to put their money where their mouth is because when they think critically about it, 
they'll actually find that like, okay, well, actually, maybe that's not where the magic was happening. Where the magic was happening was when we had these awesome curated brainstorming sessions, for instance, which we can do in terms of bringing people together in a retreat setting or an offsite setting, or we can bring people together virtually and, and do something this way. We can get innovative in those spaces. So that's the the context around the around the non-problem that I think a lot of people tend to fall back on. Darren, what do you think? I'd break it down two ways. The first is it feels like an instance of romanticizing the past. And the second is it's the feeling behind it is, is valid. I think it's misplaced. So let me explain the first one first. Romanticizing the past. We have this tendency to look back at a few awesome moments and assume that they happened more than they did. We put a greater level of importance or significance on them in the memory. And so we are trying desperately to, to recreate that. I actually think that water coolers as they were designed in a co-located office are fairly exclusive. They're not an incredibly inclusive way to communicate. There are clicks and nuances around gathering at the water cooler where not everyone is equally able to contribute. So I'm not entirely sure we should aspire to recreate that. This is an amazing opportunity to rethink inclusivity around informal communication. The second one is the concept of recreating the water cooler. My, my thought is it's actually about belonging, bringing people together, the connective tissue of humans being humans. And the only thing that we can remember from the office that we think really did that was the water cooler. But when you get at the heart of the matter, it's more about giving people the atmosphere and the medium to connect as humans. And I think there's an amazing opportunity for organizations to look at, um, companies and products like Luna Park. It's a live game show that you can bring your teams together on. That's amazing. You can do it from, from anywhere in the world. I think that's uh, a more inclusive and a more exciting way, for example, to get people to joke and kid around and, and learn about each other. Um, you can even leverage tools like Slack in new ways, having affinity channels or community channels for things like cooking or hiking or parenting mental health awareness, topics that matter to people, and then invite them to spend their time conversing about those specific topics. It's a much more meaningful, intentional way to gather and communicate. So I think it's, um, it's valid to, to have that concern, but the, the term recreate, it implies that the past is better than the future that we can build. And for me, that's the heart of the issue. We're looking at it through the lens of fear and scarcity instead of through the lens of opportunity. And whenever you say the word recreate, it should be a bit of a pause. Of, wait, if we're going to invest the energy in recreating something, should we not at least figure out what we could do to build a different or better future? Yeah, it's almost like it's being used as a metaphor for that small human connection that happened around work, right? And it's so, I think the reason why people kind of use that is that they're so concerned that on Slack, companies are kind of, um, I think it's really easy to become really corporate 
and constantly be in a very like business chat. Instead of when you'd be at the office, you know, you'd from time to time have like a chit chat. And I think people are kind of looking for a way to do that. But Darren, I agree with you in terms of, uh, you know, like let's find the remote first version of of doing this instead of trying to like, you know, uh, stimulate it in, in, in some in some old way. I actually had um, a, this Luna Park kind of sounds like uh, I had a cohort that I did a coaching cohort. And the first day of the cohort, what we did was I don't know if you guys ever heard of Jackbox games where you like log in on your phone and you can like play games together. And we did that. And that was awesome because people, you know, like got to like hang out and kind of learn a, a little bit about each other in like a quick 45 minute, uh, you know, like kind of like gameplay. So I'm a big fan of stuff like that and doing things like that outside of the regular Slack channels in order for you to connect. Yeah, I, Chase, I what... totally agree. And I, I think one thing that's like rings true through all of this is that it's up to leadership within these organizations to intentionally create these opportunities. And and I think that's the fair uh knock maybe for back lack of a better word on remote is that those things don't just happen easily you don't just brush shoulders with someone in the hallway and suddenly have an opportunity to perhaps strike up a conversation i think we have to question how much value is actually in that are we romanticizing it as darren said um what used to happen but then if we move past that and we say well the past is the past whatever let's now build for the future then it's up to the leadership to intentionally create these opportunities um, within within the framework of how the company operates. So that's where I see, you know, an op- the opportunity is for people that are building these organizations to then say, okay, how are we going to create those moments? Whether they were valuable at the water cooler or not is kind of irrelevant now. <laughs> let's let's build the better mousetrap going forward. So I I'm not one that likes to lean on tools, right? Like I'm not one that likes to say, well, the, the the tool doesn't exist for this, so we can't do it or whatever it may be. But this is one of those scenarios where you almost need to have some specialized tools come out that can kind of like help facilitate these things. But I'm curious right now, as we stand, uh, what are some ways of doing that, right? Of creating that human connection in a remote first way, uh, uh, Darren, you know, you mentioned Luna Park. I think, I think that's a great, I think that's a great, uh, example. Are there any other ones that either of you guys have seen or have used yourself that are like, that you think are phenomenal ways of doing that or not phenomenal, just good. Let's, I'll let's, let's set a low that. bar here. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on Luna Park. It's a, it's a fascinating model. It's a live game show for teams and they can be really large teams. And when I say live game show, I mean, you are sucked into a live game show. There's a host in New York city in an actual studio and it's a game show. It's you're in it with your team Uh, and all the competition. You get to name your team. It's a phenomenal way to bring people together and be on a game show. It's very, very next level. I think you would have a hard time pulling this off in a co-located office. It's one of those opportunity over scarcity type of arrangements. And they're also thinking critically about how do we do this in a, in a smaller way. Uh, and so thinking about pairs of people, but done in a global or community setting. So you're apart, but together, uh, and also asynchronous ways to to do that. There are some limitations on the games, of course, when you can't have real-time feedback, but there are still interesting ways to do that. Um, but there are also boring solutions, things like companies devoting funds to spend on 
uh, video gaming, if you want to have a Fortnite competition around the world, for example, that's something that can be fairly easily arranged, even through a Slack channel. You don't have to make major investments to get people on the same page and just play games that they already are playing. The, the third thing I'll give you here, I feel like it's, a, it's another boring solution. At GitLab, we're, we're big on these boring solutions. We use Slack at GitLab, but we use it in a very unique way. We expire our Slack messages after 90 days. And the reason we do that is we want work to happen in one channel and informal communication to happen in another. So if your work is going to disappear after 90 days, you're incentivized to work in a different platform. And so for GitLab, we collaborate in the GitLab platform. What that does is it frees Slack up to be an amazing informal communication tool. We have all of those community channels that I mentioned prior, parenting, mental health awareness, fishing, cooking, hiking, you name it, you can find your community. And we even have location communities. If there's uh, a crowd in London or Singapore, you name it, uh, you can connect with people who may not work on the same team as you, but happen to be geographically close to you. And the beauty in doing that is we, is we divide where work communication happens and where informal communication happens. Many organizations are trying to have these conversations in the exact same room. Imagine if you walked into a physical office and you went into the cafeteria. This is clearly a place where people dine and have informal communication. But imagine if someone was giving a marketing presentation on one wall and a communications presentation on the other wall while people are trying to talk about their weekends and eat all in the same room. It would be absolute it's like Lollapalooza. <laughs> this is what is essentially happening virtually for organizations who are trying to shove work communication and informal communication into the exact same medium. And then they come desperately seeking to recreate the water cooler when they could get 90% of the way there by just separating where work comms happen and where informal comms happen. Man, I'm so Chase. interested in Luna Park now. I'm uh, I'm very intrigued by this. And I, one question, Darren, do you mind me asking? With Luna Park, is it something like uh, it, it seems? The answer seems obvious to me, but it's all happening synchronously, right? Uh, like people need to be synced in, synced up, and and attending live. The game show element, yes, uh, it's worth the effort. But they are working on asynchronous ways and kind of like semi synchronous ways to make that happen but the the synchronous game show is an absolute riot cool that's a, i mean that sounds really fun and I, I this is one of the most exciting things about this evolution that we've seen just like you know gasoline thrown on the fire over the last couple of years all these products and services that are emerging to serve distributed teams in a really creative and well thought out way is incredible i mean we <laughs> At Doist, we we built Twist because we were running. We built the company on Slack. Slack's an awesome product. It's not that uh, we didn't, you know, that we don't respect the product, but it wasn't doing what we wanted uh, in terms of asynchronicity. So we built Twist literally because we couldn't find another tool out there that would do what we wanted. And if we were doing that today, we'd have our pick of options. And that that same thing is kind of exasperated across like every aspect of the way that company runs virtual credit cards, uh, teams that, uh, you know, products that bring teams together in a social standpoint, products that are built specifically to make awesome handbooks. Um, I mean, just all these things that serve our, our needs are, uh, 
are just coming out and it's 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 been really fun to watch and then i learn about a new one every day i mean luna park today so anyway that's uh that's really exciting i i also have some kind of like boring answers to this question i feel like and i and but i think the cool thing within that is that this doesn't have to be very cost prohibitive the this connection that teams want to build it doesn't have to be rocket science um, you can just think through the probably the free sets of tools that you have at your disposal and just how to use them intentionally to create that whatever it is you're trying to create, whether that's serendipitous conversation or team connection or just 15 minutes a day of, of chit chat. Um, and so we do a lot of this without getting you know too, uh, too super creative around it, but we built out like a social calendar. So we have a handful of events that happen every month. Uh, one of the keys, I think, to this is that all of them are optional. So we never put pressure on people to attend anything. Um, we like we don't even put pressure on people to attend work meetings. So like you, you can always opt out of a work meeting, no questions asked. We're certainly not going to put pressure on you to attend, you know, a game show or a, or a casual hangout or whatever it might be. So um, pretty much every week, there or if not every other week, there's an activity of some sort that people can can join. That might be an AMA with one of our uh, CXOs. It might be a uh, presentation. We've got somebody that's getting ready to do a presentation on how they curate music. Um, so they're just showcasing how they do that. We've done cooking classes together, workouts. Um, we have people that present things that they do kind of like TED Talk style, something kind of professional that they've done, you know, a product that they've built, a, a, something that they've done on the side, a side project or something within the framework of the company. Um, but all these different ways to give people an option to connect on a human level, slightly outside of work, but usually somewhat adjacent to work because we kind of lean on that. We're a team, not a family thing, and we really bond around the work. That's what really unites us. So everything sort of starts from there and then and then goes outwards. But I think there's no doubt that you you do have to infuse some uh, some areas where people can find that room for human connection and build a relationship outside of the the day to day. Chase just had an amazing nugget there on finding people in your company with amazing stories to tell and allow them to lead a session that becomes an AMA or a lunch and learn. Uh, it reminded me of someone that's about to do one of those at GitLab. He is a world record holding skydiver. He has done over 4,000 skydives and he works in our ranks. And so we're going to do a lunch and learn an AMA on what is skydiving? What is parachuting? What are the things that go into it? That's what an amazing thing to be a part of. And so I, just ask, ask around in your ranks, have folks raise their hand. My guess is that people have passions outside of work. And uh, the last thing I'll note on this um, is focus outward instead of inward. Almost everything we've talked about so far has been inward focused. What can the company do to set up something to get people to connect with each other? But I really think that the future of building culture will largely be formed outside of company walls, virtually or physical. Community impact outings is a great example of this. Instead of a Zoom happy hour, a sunk cost of an hour in everyone's week, you invite people to go spend that hour in their local community doing something that's meaningful to them. Maybe that's helping out at Habitat for Humanity. Maybe it's reading to kiddos at a local library. 
working at a local food bank, you name it. And then you ask people to wear company swag, take a selfie while they're out there and share it back in a shared company channel. And if you do this right, the flood of images and videos and stories of everyone living their authentic lives will create more conversation than you could ever imagine with people connecting on things that matter to each other just by showcasing who they really are slightly outside of work. So have the, uh, have the conviction that your people are are pretty amazing and uh, look outward instead of inward and, and see what happens. It's I'm, I want to attend the skydiving thing. We we had uh we had the, a, a person on our team. We call this series Doist Presents, where somebody presents something. It's not work related. It's like more you know close to their uh to their personal life. And we have one guy who's like I want to like I've I'm a bit older you know and my I'm a bit further along in my career than a lot of people and like I kind of want to tell my story. Like I had a lot of failures. I like fell apart. You know, I had some crashes up and down. And like, these are the kind of things that emerge. So th- then we get a dedicated hour where you have like 20 people that have opted into this meeting. They want to be there. They're interested in learning about this guy's life. And he shares like, you know, things get emotional. And I mean, this is this is connection, right? And people from other parts of the world are experiencing what it was for this guy to grow up and his family and his own unique circumstances. So you're getting to like, simultaneously peer into someone's life, but also the representation of what that is in that person's city, country, whatever. These are things that are only unlocked through distributed work. Like that, that's a completely unique experience that I would never get if I was sitting in an office with a homogenous group of people that look and sound exactly like me from my same zip code. And I think these are the things that sometimes we overlook, like even those of us that are really deep into this remote work nerdiness. Like sometimes we can overlook how cool that is and how, not just how cool it is, but how impactful it is to the company. And, um, and, and that's a, that's something that I'm trying to tap into a little bit more is like, how do we tweak those little, how do we pull those little levers to unlock a little bit more of the superpowers that we have by being such a distributed, uh, such a distributed team. I wanted to take a quick break and tell you about our sponsor for today's episode, Safety Wing. As a longtime digital nomad and remote worker, I can tell you from experience that travel medical insurance is extremely important. The more time you spend abroad, the more you increase your chances that eventually something will happen. Maybe you'll get sick and need to see a doctor, or you're going to crash your scooter in Bali and have to get a cast. Either way, figuring out how to pay for that procedure in a foreign country is not what you're going to want to deal with at that moment. And that's why I love Safety Wing. Their services are designed for people like you and me. Their Nomad Insurance is a global travel medical insurance with emergency coverage across 185 countries. Their remote health package, on the other hand, provides remote companies and employees with global health insurance. Not to mention that SafetyWing is also funding the Plumia Project, which is working to establish the first ever country on the internet. So if you're still nomading unprotected, what are you doing? Head over to safetywing.com and find the insurance package that's right for you. You. And also, consider using the affiliate link in the show notes, which will directly support me in continuing to produce this podcast. So thanks again to Safety Wing for sponsoring us. And now back to the episode. So 
this we're dancing around something that Chase and I were getting talking about last week. And and Darren, I want to get your opinion on this. I'm about I'm I'm gonna pitch you an idea that Chase and I were talking about. Okay, and and you tell me, don't hold back. You tell me, terrible or awesome. Okay. Wait, so, is this about is this about cheese? It's not about cheese. No, okay. but all we right. we all Go know ahead. provolone is the winner here. Uh, but I'm, no, I'm uninterested. Like, if it's not like, about cheese. We we sound like we sound like uh, we're like dairy. Uh, addicts over here so <laughs> so chase and i had this discussion last week about internal podcasts okay so i heard that facebook for years has been running internal podcasts where they're creating them they're kind of like uh you know only uh team members of facebook can actually access these podcasts they have it for like marketing teams or whatever maybe whatever it may be I think that is an incredible opportunity for remote companies to create internal podcasts that are distributed to their employees. Kind of like if you think about it, your high school yearbook, but for your company. You can talk about interesting things that people did. You can interview, uh, hey, you know, you just went to this, uh, you know, boys and girls club of, you know, Oklahoma City. Like what happened? What did you learn? You know, exactly the stories that you guys are talking about. Uh, kind of sharing them in a podcast format, and you can use it as a way to uh, perhaps you know talk about hey, like you know we want to educate the team on like this specific thing, like how to use whatever it may be, or or how to improve your remote working skill in some way. What do you think about that from your standpoint as head of remote at GitLab? What do you think about this idea? Pros, cons, tear it down. No, I love it. I think it could be one of many mechanisms to get people uh, to connect. Uh, the GitLab DNA in me says, if you're going through the effort of making the podcast, make it public, do it in public, be transparent with it. But no, I, I do get the uh, validity and in, in creating then an internal community, maybe make it internal uh, and then and seek maybe specific episodes that you would, uh, you would launch uh, externally. We have GitLab unfiltered. It's a YouTube channel where our meetings are essentially podcast and many of them are, are streamed to the world. But we also have a internal company newsletter. We call it while you were iterating a nod to our iteration value that keeps everyone up to speed on important company milestones and moments and things that they may have missed. And that that's for, for team members only. So yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's an amazing opportunity to let people stretch their creative muscles uh, to the point about the skydiver, ask people to raise their hands. My guess is there's somewhere in the ranks of your company, someone who loves audio, who loves podcasting, who would jump at the chance to set this up and build a schedule and uh, create topics. Why not? If they're consuming these things outside of work, bring it inside and see if it opens up new avenues for people to connect on different levels. You know, something it brings to mind uh, what Darren just said, this, uh, I hadn't thought it before until now, but I think there's a lot of power in that, like giving people these opportunities to build something that can contribute to the organization, but maybe it's not quite uh, within the scope of their day to day. And, and so one of our core values is mastery and really mastering your craft. And that means leveling up in, in your craft, but also like the things that are adjacent to that. And, um, and so we do, we, we just stop just short of requiring everybody to do what we call an internal do a do is a doist objective, which is like a project, uh, cross collaboration with other teams every month. Um, but we, uh, we re ask that everybody does their own personal do every year, which is 
do spending a month basically on a project that is related to the company, but not necessarily related to your core work. It's designed to give you a break from the regular grind and then also, you know, level up, learn something new, expand your horizons a little bit. And I could totally see this concept being something that somebody at Doist would say, like, I want to create the, uh, an internal podcast. And then what that could do for the company, like the the ripple effects down the road are are pretty significant. We've seen some of these transition into things that are like really important for the company now. And some of them are just fun. Some of them never get implemented. There's no requirement that they get implemented, um, which is another key factor. But anyway, that this idea now is ringing in my head going, I wonder if we could have somebody create an internal podcast because uh, I like the concept a lot, actually. Uh, by the way, Darren, I'm curious. We keep bringing up this uh, this GitLab uh, employee who's a, a world record holding skydiver. Are you just going to show up to that call with your, your Guinness world record kind of thing, you know, like on the desk to, to say like, hey, uh, you know, encroaching on my territory here with the cool stuff? <laughs> Let me tell you, man, this is... This is very, this is like perfectly circular, but we didn't plan this. So this gentleman is on my team. So I had a coffee chat with him when he joined GitLab and I, he put together a readme, which is a personal operating manual. Uh, I have one of those and he read mine and in there you learn that I'm a Guinness world record holder in publishing and he put his together and (laughs) there's a note in there that he's a world record holder in skydiving. And so we had this amazing uh, coffee chat. But on our Luna Park game show, it's very circular. Um, the host was asking for interesting nuances. Like, tell me something interesting about yourself. And the hosts are comedians, so they're really good at getting funny things out of people. And so, of course, I nonchalantly say, look, I'm a Guinness World Record holder. A lot of these answers have to be inputted via keyboard. I'm an amazing typer. So I think this is going to help my team. Like, they were trying to get me to trash talk other teams. So I'm like, look, I'm... I'm the the fastest gun in town here on the keyboard. We're going to do great. Our team is going to do great. Uh, and then he was like, wait, you're, you're actually a world record holder. And I said, yeah, we actually have two world record holders in this game show. And the host completely broke character. He was like, <laughs> wait, what? I've been doing this for a long time. I've never met a world record holder. Now I have two in my game show. And he said, all right, we're going to move on to the next game. I'm going to ask my producer to confirm this during the game show. So we did the game, uh, the mini game. He came back and he's like, in my ear, my producer is confirming. We have two world record holders <laughs> in the game show. Uh, and now I feel compelled to call my mother after the game show and tell her what kind of amazing day I've had. Uh, essentially what I'm picking up from this is if, if you've had hopes of uh, working for GitLab at some point, Put that on pause. Go and get a world record first, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. put it top of the uh, top of the resume. Uh, that's that's amazing. Um, I want to uh, kind of shift over to talking about something else that we wanted to touch on. And uh, recently, this came out. Uh, there, there's been several articles written about this, but Malcolm Gladwell, who is a you know, shall we say, well-known author, uh, recently appeared on a podcast called "The Diary of a CEO." And he ruffled some feathers with the remote community. Uh, Specifically, he had uh, this to say about working remotely. And this is uh, me quoting Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, And I quote, it's not in your best interest to work at home. I know it's a hassle to come into the office. But if you're just sitting in your pajamas in your bedroom, is that the work life you want to live? And I think that this uh, is kind of setting up on a platter for us 
the opportunity for us to talk about like the mindset around working remotely. So can we, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm going to let whoever, whichever one of you wants to pick this up. What is Malcolm getting wrong when it comes to, to remote work in terms of the way that he thinks about it? Uh, and, and, you know, what can we, I think as the second part of this question in this discussion is like, I'm always thinking about like, what do we, what can we as a community do better, right? Where are we, where are we dropping the ball? What can we do better uh, in terms of the way that we communicate and the way that we educate, whatever it may be. So the second part of this discussion I'd like to ask is like, what can we do better in terms of, you know, talking about remote work or, or education or whatever it may be in order to not have people like Malcolm Gladwell going out there and saying stuff like this? So I'll start by saying the image that he depicted is not the future of work. It's a fairly clear picture of quarantine or pandemic work from home, forced work from home. Interestingly, I see the opportunity in his statement, which is please be more intentional about designing your life, designing your experiences. I think that's like, I totally jive with that. Uh, he's saying, don't let life pass you by just sitting around in your house, in your pajamas, unless that's exactly the experience you're designing. That may be perfect for some people. So the opportunity here is to move from geographic independence, which COVID accelerated the world's embrace of geographic independence, which is defined as decoupling the business results that you drive from the physical geography that surrounds you. We're doing pretty okay at that. The next frontier is time independence, decoupling the business results that you drive from linear time. The nine to five is an archaic construct for how work happens. And especially for knowledge workers, certainly this won't apply to every industry, but for knowledge workers, there is additional flexibility where you can push the bounds, push the envelope of linear time. But to do that well, you need a management philosophy that is different than philosophies of workplaces of the past. And one of the things that we have recently published at GitLab is our management philosophy. We're terming it MEC, managing so everyone can contribute. Everyone can contribute as part of GitLab's mission. And there are four key tenets of it. And it's, it answers things like, how do we create a system where everyone can consume information and contribute regardless of their level or, or function? Questions like, how do we prioritize the speed of knowledge retrieval? as in how fast can someone find something over the speed of knowledge transfer, as in how quickly can I tap someone on the shoulder? That's not as relevant when you're globally distributed. These are the questions that, that leaders need to ask themselves and find answers to. And it's going to require a philosophical shift, a foundational fundamental shift in how you think about work. And until leaders embrace that, it's going to be difficult for team members working in those environments to do things drastically different. So to bring it all the way back, if you're not designing your life, if you've just been shoved into home and that's where you're working now, but you haven't given thought to, is this the best way of working for me or my team or my company? Now is the time to do that. And 
we've never had, at least in my life, we've never had such open permission to redesign our lives and how work integrates into it. Yeah, that's so well said, man. Um, I, funny enough, like I'm, so I, I've really enjoyed many of Malcolm Gladwell's books and I am a, a frequent listener to that podcast, The Diary of a CEO. So I was actually like super excited when I saw that episode coming together and I uh, I tuned in. I was obviously disappointed by the comments, but I think there's a ton of opportunity in them. And it's it's easy to to get upset about the way that he described remote work when you feel like it's core to your work, it's core to the way that you function. And especially if you're an advocate for it, you feel like somebody's attacking what you're uh, what you're trying to build. But I think if you if you move past that, um, which isn't too hard to do because you know people are attacking remote work uh, in in a lot of different ways. And, and that's fine. I think that puts pressure on us to be better. I think one thing that's important to keep in mind is that the terrible image that he described is actually the reality for a lot of people working remotely. Uh, it, it's not, it, it, for, for, not everybody's working at GitLab and not everybody's working remotely at, at Duis. Not everybody's working at companies that were intentionally designed to support remote work. The first remote worker that I knew was my mom, who somehow managed 20-something years ago to convert her nursing uh, job into a remote work job because she wanted to work from home. It was a horrible experience, terrible for her mental health, her physical health. She worked all the time. She had to ask to take bathroom breaks. She literally had one of those mouse trackers. Um, yeah, and, it's um, so and, and crazy. All the worst elements and and so i have seen that terrible side of remote work and i do think as annoying as it was to hear all of remote work described that way it can be useful if we remember that there's a lot of teams out there that are functioning in that sort of way there's a lot of people who may not be suited for remote work that are now being that may be being forced to so to bring it all back to what's really useful here is how do we take that information and help those teams that the teams that want to get better and they want to help serve their employees in a way that's actually this is a sustainable model that people are going to actually enjoy and they get all the pros that we're all fans of, but we reduce and diminish those downsides. Um, I think that's that's something that after I thought about it for a few minutes, I said, that's that's what can come from, you know, that's the silver lining in this whole ridiculous conversation uh, about how horrible it all is. It's it's not all good and it's not all bad. And we need to remember that we need to mitigate the downsides and, and help organizations do that. I think uh, I that's so important that you said that, I think, Chase, because you're so right. You know, like we talk to people like, you know, I get, I have the privilege of speaking with you guys that are, re, you know, leading and creating these amazing teams and, and, and really thinking forward, right. And making remote work something really, really great. But there are so many people that I speak with, especially here in the Midwest who remember remote work from what COVID forced them into. And the managers have the exact same feeling of, okay, we're just going to deal with this. And like, you know, I'm going to force you. And like, well, how am I making sure that you're getting your job done? I have friends who literally, like you said, Chase, in 2021, 2022, we're getting their uh, key clicks 
checked to make sure that they were like logged on. And this was the craziest part. If they didn't have a certain ratio of mouse movements or whatever to time, they would get their pay docked by that hour. So like just this insanity like drives me so crazy. So I guess like my thinking here is like my, my next question to follow up with this is like, there's a part of me that's the the pessimist part that says something like, this is old managerial style. These are people who are, you know, towards the end of their career who do not want to change. And do we just need to wait for them to get flushed out of the workforce to get newer people in who are more open to this being the future of work? Or is there a way to communicate to those people and, and do something that we're not doing in order to show them the merits? And I'll take the fall. If the answer is we gotta flush these folks out, I'm more than I'm more than willing to be the scapegoat of of, of putting that out there. Chase, go ahead. <laughs> I don't well, I was hot potato this over I wanted, to Chase. Yeah. I wanted to default to the Oracle, man. I was I was really curious to hear. I, I have I have thoughts. I have thoughts here. First off, I'll say if anyone is listening to this and they have a playbook for persuading their management to embrace change. I'm a big believer in opening hearts and minds. It's very difficult to change hearts and minds, but it starts with opening. If you have a playbook for opening those minds at your organization, but you don't have a place to pin this, the GitLab handbook is a, is a great place. So uh, we could certainly put together a guide on persuading um, leaders to embrace remote work. Um, so reach out to me and uh, we can co-create that. I think there's a fine line between exerting energy to change something that will not change. And it's going to be different for every individual and in every situation. You're just going to need to know when to feel it. When is enough enough? And at some point, some people may be better finding organizations that are already rowing in the direction that they want to travel. This is the at the heart of this great reshuffle. People have used COVID as an opportunity to reevaluate their lives, reevaluate their values, reevaluate what's important to them. And if their workplace experience is not aligned with that and they feel like they cannot contribute to changing it, it's an opportunity to find a workplace experience that is more aligned with the new lens that they view work and life through. To your point about managers or executives being more in favor of getting everyone back into the office, I think the office is the, the easy scapegoat, but what it really is is reverting to the way things were instead of investing energy into building something different. Because there's some risk in doing that. When you're changing the workflows, you're changing the culture, you're changing the operations of a company. For some companies, it's a fundamental re-architecting that they're going through. That's risky, that's hard. There's a lot of energy that will be used in accomplishing that. So I, I get that. Uh, I, I certainly sympathize with companies that are going through that. But people wanna work with leaders who embrace those challenges head on. And for leaders that do that, and you ask people to raise their hands and be a part of that change, 
impressive things can happen. I would actually say for recruiting leaders and people leaders listening, write it into your job description. From here on out, one of the requirements of people coming in is you want to be a catalyst for change as the company builds its future of work. Why not write that down? If that's going to be something that you need help with, make sure that people are are on board with that. I do think that the change will happen regardless. The market will force companies in some ways to embrace these new ways of working. History repeats itself to some degree. There were organizations perhaps that resisted integrating the internet into their workflows, (laughs) maybe resisted uh, getting a company's social media account for a certain amount of time. But at some point, technological innovation touches us all. And remote work and all of the things around it is a technological innovation. It is a product that is happening to the market. Some organizations will be quicker to embrace it than others. But over the grand arc of time, we're never going to go back to the way things were. So embracing it early gives you more time to iterate and pilot, experiment and fail and learn from others. Last thing I'll say here is if you're listening to this and you are one of the pioneers, you are a change agent, build in public. We have to be the beacon for every other company who is looking for guidance, looking for data, looking for a shoulder to lean on. This is a massive global change and it's an opportunity for people to reach across industries and and across career paths and learn from each other. At GitLab, we have openly shared what we've learned, but we've learned a lot from other organizations who are, are now sharing what they've learned. So if you're a leader, you have a responsibility to, to, to lead out loud. A lot, of, a lot of other organizations are looking uh, for you to guide them. That, that build in public thing is so important and such a, a central aspect to the way that we live and breathe as a company. At Doist, I mean, the GitLab handbook is kind of like the the default to go to, but there's a lot of other companies out there that have done a great job building in public. And, and we've learned from that. And I think we invest a lot in that ourselves because we're both inspired and thankful that that information's out there. And it also serves the business. There's a lot of reasons to do it. Um, and I think it's, I think it's important, but I think it's one of those things, just like they say about charity, like you, you know, you're going to get 10, 10 X what you put in in some way or another. And I've, I found that to be true, both on like a personal level, personal branding or whatnot. And, and on a company standpoint too, I mean, Darren, I feel like that's how you and I got to know each other was just by sort of building in public and asking questions and, and getting to know each other. So I've, I second that as a, a vital step in this evolution and I couldn't help but kind of chuckle at the idea of like history repeating itself because I'm frequently reminded of, I was in my last year of college uh, during 2008 crisis. Um, so I was graduating, looking at the looming market ahead of me, thinking this is going to be fun. And I was taking this international econ class taught by a French guy, uh, uh, Dr. Cobois, if you're listening. Um, he was awesome. And, and, and I was very close to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a big banking city. Um, and a lot of the, the banking, the financial crisis was happening. It was just, it was very, very bad time for a lot of people in that class whose parents were losing their jobs. Uh, think things were in turmoil and I'll never forget this, this guy, uh, saying, you know, 
it does not matter. It does not matter. The market will take care of itself. And I feel that way sometimes about this whole remote revolution. Like, yeah, it's kind of hard to to hear that for some of these companies that don't want to change. You know, you've been doing the same thing. I mean, imagine you've built your career managing people a certain way and it's been 20, 30, 40 years and, and you feel like you've mastered your craft, but now everything's upended. It's a little ridiculous to expect that person to just fully embrace change and just be like, yeah, man, let's move forward with this whole new way of doing things. That I understand the pain that they're they're going through. And and so I, I want to be empathetic towards that. I think of one of the big things that we can do as as remote organizations is try to help people on the fringes of this. You know, the the 35-year-old that grew up with with Facebook is at a different stage than the 22-year-old who's never going to ha- have a chance to sit in an office and learn through osmosis from the people around them. And they're in a very different point than the the 60-year-old who's been managing people a certain way. So I think there's some opportunity here in the people who are just starting their careers, maybe the people who are who the sun is setting on their careers, but how do we fold them in and, and make them a part of this? And I think that can be a big step forward for the whole movement, if we want to call it that. Chase, you you started out working in an office, right? Darren, did you, when, when you were at Engadget, were you in an office? Not at Engadget, but I have worked in an, uh, an office in a prior life for sure. Chase, you're shaking I, your head. You're not in an office? Yeah, I, I went to work for a hybrid company where I was one of the few remote people. And I went in for the first couple months. I had to go in one day a week and then uh, and then like occasionally to an office for like quarterly meetings. So not, so not you've like never had an frequently. office experience. I, I guess I can't say that's cor- I can't say yes and no, because I did go into an office once a week for a few months. But that was the extent of it. I got to I got to peer in and see like this definitely isn't for me. So it's it's interesting. The reason why I bring this up is sometimes I, because I like to, I like to have tasted something to be able to say that it's the wrong way, right? Or that like to say like I don't like it, like cheddar cheese, right? Like I've tasted cheddar cheese. I know I don't like it. It's not good, right? So I sometimes feel not guilty or wrong. I don't know what the word there is, but. I went from being a lifeguard to working remotely. So there's been there's been no office. I've never had to do any of the office stuff. And so there is a part of me where like I could see someone like the ultimate like check checkmate move to someone arguing for me anti-remote work would be, well, have you ever worked in an office? I'd be like, no, you're right, checkmate, right? So I was just kind of curious if if either of you guys are also uh in that position. Yeah, I've I've definitely worked in an office for a good chunk of my career. It was the it was the only option. And the biggest downside of the office to me wasn't the office itself. It was the stranglehold the office puts on every other aspect of your life as a human being. Not a worker, a human being. It restricts where you can live. It restricts how you can spend your time. It restricts the passions that you're able to invest in because there's a rigid nine to five or similar around the office. Um, It heaps incredible expectations on you to have certain engagements and relationships with people that you did not choose to be a part of your life. Your HR department chose for them to be a part of your team. Uh, All of those things really add up. Uh, and at the end of it, 
on a Saturday, you're left thinking, how much of this week did I have any say in at all? Where is my agency and autonomy as a human being? The office robs people of agency and autonomy um, as it as it used to be set up. I think the office is having a renaissance, <laughs> and I'm actually pretty pretty excited to see what the future of real estate is in a new distributed way of working. There are some phenomenal people um, that are thinking about this. Tracy Hawkins at uh, at Twitter is one that comes to mind, and uh, Dave Cairns. Uh, CBRE is another, I think at Atlassian, at Atlassian. Yeah. So the, the office is getting in many ways, this remote work revolution has taken the millstone off of the office's neck proverbially, and it gives the office a new lease on life. So I'm interested to see what companies that have real estate do with it. But the, the old office, the one that I'm more intimately familiar with, it was never compatible with with my desire for life because of, of how restrictive it was. Let me just say, Mitko, that, that resonated with me so hard because one of the things that I find so interesting is this next evolution, this next step is really about adopting async, about having asynchronous communication at the core of how we work, right? Because when I was working remotely in the first chapter of my career, I was working remote, but I was not able to work async. And that affected a lot of the elements that Darren was just mentioning about the control over your life and the subsequent happiness and and satisfaction that you have at the end of that week were still affected by the rigidity of the, the archaic nine to five. So adopting this mentality of remote is a huge step. Adopting this mentality of working asynchronously and giving people full control over their nonlinear workday is that next big step that really unlocks a lot of personal satisfaction for individuals and, I mean, productivity. We can go down that rabbit hole as well, but that's that for me is a, is a big thing. I actually migrated from working remotely, but in a very synchronous environment to working remotely and asynchronous, and it's, and it's night and day uh, in terms of the way that I manage my day. Uh, professionally and personally. So I'm, I'm excited about that phase that, that I believe is on the horizon. Yeah. I was just going to say, Darren, when you were talking, this made me think of this, uh, you know how people like love Amish furniture because it's like built by hand. Do you think it's going to be people who are like, I buy from these companies cause they're in the office. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, uh, it's like, it's going to be like a marketing thing, like built in office, you know? Uh, the okay. same way like, some companies say like built with love remotely or from anywhere, it's going to be the, the flip of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Coming, coming back uh, to the Malcolm Gladwell thing. I mean, the, that episode, the, the Stephen Bartlett, who's, I mean, it's the number one business podcast in Europe. It's a, it's a well done podcast. He, he's a big hater of, of remote work. He's, he can't stand it uh, on many levels, but he, uh, he talks about that, how he's going to create his whole brand around, we're going to have an awesome office culture. Like he's not embracing remote work at all. And uh, he wants to be known as like the company, you know, I don't think he's talking like Google Plex necessarily, but he's just saying like, we're going to, we're going to screen, you guys are screening people for remote workers, like people that are really operate in the distributed environment. I'm screening for people that like, they want to be in the office every day and, and we're building everything around that. And it kind of made me laugh. The thing that's beautiful about that. It's great. Is yeah. it? 
added intentionality. It's added intentionality. I have absolutely no gripes with it whatsoever. Zero. There will be industries, there will be teams that absolutely want to build a tight-knit, co-located organization. That is amazing. I think there will always be plenty of co-located opportunities for people who prefer that type of work style and lifestyle. The beauty of COVID is that it's forcing those companies to be more clear about who they are, what their culture is. And for every other organization, it's forcing them to be more clear about their definition of co-located or hybrid or remote or whatever they choose to define them. And I think it's, I think it's a, a huge win and uh, I, have, I have no gripes with it whatsoever. I'm sure they will recruit amazing people that are perfectly values aligned with that and everyone will be happier. I, I totally agree with that. One hundred percent. I think it's the way forward. I I have a friend that works at a, a company. He hated working remote during the during the pandemic. He couldn't wait to get back to the office, and he works at a company that takes the office culture very seriously. In terms of you have, he can work wherever he wants. He's totally location independent, but he loves live. He lives in one of the biggest, most congested cities in the world that we would all say this is what you can escape. And he goes into the office every day, super happy. And the, all that matters to me is that you have that flexibility and that the people on his team get the same experience that he does because his team's distributed everywhere. And, and so I think that's the, the important thing. And just like you said, Darren, these companies just getting more intentional about it is the big success. That's a win. And I, I just hope people have that, that opportunity to choose. And that's where I think Dr. Corbora was right. Like, it doesn't matter because the, the people, people are going to have the option to choose where they want to go. And if they're in office people, they're going to have that option. And if they're not in office people, they're going to have that option. And, and this is the, this is the victory. I believe this is what it looks like when, when we all kind of get the best of both worlds. Well, um, I, I love that. I, I totally agree with that as well as, uh, and also just putting pressure on, on, on companies to allow for remote work, right. Or for, for the companies that are okay with, with being remote, right. Like, like making that apparent so that people who do want to work remotely can, I think, instead of them having to, you know, like hide and try to find find a route to remote. But uh, guys, this has been uh, super fun. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let people know where can they find you online. It's crazy. I was still left with questions and topics that, that we didn't answer. Uh, we're going to have to have a part three of this. Darren was on the podcast like two weeks ago. He was like, like let's do this with Chase. So we're going to have to... You have to reschedule this uh, or, or schedule another one, but let people know for now uh, where can they find you uh, online, uh, Darren? I know you got to run soon, so I'll let you go first. Yeah, man, this was a ton of fun. Let's do a, another one. Maybe this is a regular occurring series. I get so much energy talking to you. Hey, both. Uh, Mikasa is Sukasa. Okay, much appreciated. <laughs> much appreciated. I'll bring uh, a lot of cheddar when I arrive. <laughs> will truly test the bounds of our relationship. Uh, I'm, I'm Darren. You can find me on Twitter at Darren Murph and on LinkedIn, same name. Chase? Yeah, and, uh, Chase Warrington. You can find me on Twitter, uh, DC Warrington, and um, and on LinkedIn by, by searching for my name. We also, I think it's worth referencing the uh, the GitLab handbook, which was mentioned throughout this, and, uh, and Dewis blog, is also a wealth of knowledge, uh, blog.doist.com uh, on remote work, teamwork, async communication. Um, so those are all 
places worth checking out. Don't don't forget to listen to the About Abroad podcast as well. Uh, ah, great, right on cue. Thank you. Thank you, Midgo. Yes. Aboutabroad.com. <laughs> there you go. And then uh, Luna Park, uh, hit your boy up to sponsor. Uh, you know, I feel like <laughs> this episode, uh, hit your boy up. We'll, we'll, we'll set something up. But guys, thank you so much for being on. Uh, this was This was a ton of fun. Yeah.